listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So I was thinking while we were watching that really cute video of our children's ministry program that uh, our children's program teachers should feel very proud because our kids seem to have much more difficulty remembering what they eat for Thanksgiving than they did what their uh, Bible stories are about, so that's good. So I do have to warn you going into this sermon, this was supposed to be the second of a two-part sermon uh, series. Uh, Pastor Jason last week was supposed to do the intro sermon and uh, became ill about an hour before service and uh, Ricardo did an absolutely amazing job on a completely different topic and so um, this week will be a little bit of a challenge in that I've uh, I planned on starting out talking about what Jason shared last week and since he didn't we'll have to begin in a different way. But we're looking at this whole uh, concept of the, the prodigal son, and you're, many of you are going to be very familiar with the story. It's one of those ones that if you grew up or have been attending church for a while, you've heard it many times. And for, for some of you, I think that there's a tendency to really resonate with that younger brother's repentance because it echoes some of your own story as well. You've experienced God's forgiveness and have the joy of being in relationship with God today, knowing how broken and lost you had been before. But the reality is that's not the only uh, brother in the story. There's an older brother, and that today is going to be really the focus of this sermon, looking at the story of of the other lost son, that older brother, and seeing ourselves in that older brother. We're going to look, be looking at uh, Luke chapter 15 and beginning at verse 11. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11, and it says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned before, against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the ser- his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he he has received him back safe and sound. 
But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a, go a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found. So just a little bit of background in terms of understanding what's happening in the story. When the younger brother goes to his father, this would have been way outside the norm. Uh, is in a sense, asking for his inheritance while the father was alive was like the younger brother telling his dad, you're dead to me, you're nothing to me, and, um, and because of that, I'm gonna ask for the inheritance. And the way it would have happened in that culture of that time period is the, the estate would have been divided two-thirds to the older brother, one-third to the younger brother. So the younger brother takes his one-third of his estate, and he goes off to a foreign country, and he uh, wastes the money away and says, in wild living, in reckless living. Uh, so eventually, all of it's gone. There's a famine that comes up. And in the process of that, he hires himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He ends up uh, feeding pigs, which was about the lowest job that any Jewish person could do. And it says that uh, he wished that he could eat what the pigs were eating. Uh, what we understand from it historically is that they were likely feeding these pigs what's called carob pods. And the version that they fed to pigs was actually fermented. And so part of the reason why he didn't just eat what was being fed to the pigs is that the people version of it was the non-fermented version of it. So this is sort of the context for the story. The young man comes to his senses and says, oh my goodness, people that are living, the servants in my dad's house have it better than I have it right now. I'm gonna go to my father. I'm gonna tell, beg for forgiveness and just ask to be a servant in his house. And he gets a very different response from his father. He goes to his father, and his father's response was to see him a long ways off, run out there, embrace him, and accept him back as a son. And we understand that because he gives him a robe. He gives him a ring on his finger. He puts shoes on his feet, and he, he slaughters the fattened calf and throws a party for him. So he's welcomed him back as a son. And that leads us to the older brother. So we're going to be looking at this uh, concept of the older brother, the lesser known one, because we often, what I just shared is sort of what the story of the prodigal son is all about, right? But to understand the context for this parable, we really need to go back to the beginning of the chapter, because that's going to give us the context that helps us realize that what Christ was really trying to share was something very important about the older brother and the older brother's response to um, grace and mercy and so on. First two verses of chapter 15 say this, now the tax collectors and sinners, these are the bottoms of the barrel. The Jewish people hated the tax collectors because they had sold out and were working for the Roman people. And not only did they collect the taxes for the Romans, they were allowed to collect money on top of it that became their own money. So they were wealthy and hated. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. So the Pharisees and the scribes would have been the religious people of their day. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's the context. And Jesus responds to this grumbling that happens through the, through the, from the Pharisees with three parables. First, he shares the parable of the lost sheep. 
Then he shares the parable of the lost coin, and then he finishes with what we call the parable of the prodigal son, but really could be the parable of the two lost sons. So with that context, and just so, just so you can understand it, I mean, how powerful this was, as he starts to tell this story about the prodigal son, you could just picture the scribes and Pharisees being like, yes, that younger son, that's bad, that's awful. You know, we'd never be like that, right? And so he's describing what happens, and then as this younger son ends up having to feed the pigs, they're like, yeah, he's getting what he deserves, right? There's nothing worse than having to feed pigs. And then even as, as Jesus starts to flip the script and start to talk about the fact that this son is going to come back and be welcomed, perhaps just as a servant in his father's household, they're probably like, oh, that, that dad might be gracious enough to allow that to happen. That's exactly the best this kid could ever deserve would be to be a servant in his father's household. And, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He just continues to flip the script. And then suddenly it must have gotten very uncomfortable for these uh, Pharisees and scribes because suddenly they realize that really this story is about them because their lives are marked in this, how this older brother responds. Let's break down the response of the older brother and then we're gonna look at some truths that we can draw uh, from this. So first, uh, just even looking at verse 28, we see this response from the, the uh, older brother. He has this angry response. He refuses to go into the house where this party is going on. The choice that he made in doing that would have been seen as being highly disrespectful because he's essentially saying the choice that you made, dad, in accepting my younger brother back is wrong. And it would have been the talk of the town. The other guests at the party would have been highly aware of it. Where there would have been a buzz going on around it. In this verse 29, he, uh, the father comes out to him. And what's his response? His response is, look, these many years I have um, served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Even the way that he begins that statement would have been highly out of the ordinary in the culture that day. It would have been extremely disrespectful. When a son addressed a father, at no matter the age, it would have been with a term like father, uh, or how we might say daddy, uh, master, any of these kinds of terms. And yet the older brother uh, uh, addresses his father with a complete disrespect in that moment, which I find it really ironic because he goes on to say, I've never disobeyed you, but I've just disrespected you twice in the last two verses, right? Um, then it goes on in verse 30, and even how he describes his brother is he talks about him, this son of yours. He doesn't even want to claim kinship with the younger brother anymore, uh, and so he's separating himself uh, from him. But what's ironic is that what we see in verse 31 is the father's response to him. He says, son, you are always with me. How does he begin his expression to his son, right? Complete opposite of, look. He uses a term of respect and he uses a term that connotes the fact that the son belongs as part of this, as part of a relationship with the father. And so it's a complete opposite response to what the older son gives to him. What I wanna share right now are the six things that the lost older brother gets wrong, okay? And then we're gonna sort of make some application from him. First, he believed that his own good deeds made him right with his father. He says, I have never disobeyed you. Do you know a single person who never disobeyed their father or their mother? 
No, right? I mean, he's, he's probably lied right then. There's one, right? You know, so he says complete lack of reality in who he is. He believed that his own good deeds made him right. Secondly, he believed that he deserved something from his father, right? You never even gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. He, de- he believed that because of who he was that he deserved something from his father. Third thing that he got wrong was he acted like his inheritance was deserved. So part of the reason he responds the way that he does is that when his younger brother comes back into the house and is accepted as a son by the father, it meant something for his inheritance. So when that inheritance was, inheritance was initially split, when the estate was initially split, the older brother was gonna get two-thirds, the younger brother was gonna get a third. He goes out, he wastes it. When he comes back and he's accepted as a son by the father, that meant the re- remaining estate was gonna be divided two-thirds for the older brother, one-third for the younger brother. So this is sort of a big deal. I mean, there's a reason why he's consumed by this selfishness, but he acted like his inheritance was, in, uh, was deserved. Fourth, he failed to respect his father. So I already shared with that whole idea where he stays outside and doesn't go into the party. That was his first insult. He insults his father with how he addresses him in verse 28 with saying, look, rather than using a term of respect. Five, he failed to recognize the significance of his father coming to him. So in the culture of that day, it's so different than today, it was... It would have been odd enough with how the father responded to the younger brother. Men in that time period did not run. This was not what you did. You waited for people. If you were the lord of your manor, the, the uh, master of your house, you waited for people to come to you. So the fact that the father you know, would have tucked in his robes and run out to his younger son was almost embarrassing in terms of how it happens. Well, he repeats the same thing with his younger brother, with the older brother. The older brother was disrespectful, had refused to come into the party, and the father says, that's okay, I'm gonna go out to him. And the older brother fails to recognize the significance of his father being willing to come out to him. And then number six is that the older brother took no joy in the repentance of his younger brother. So it talks about him being angry, about being upset, and not recognizing the fact that this should be a source of joy. In order to understand this parable, um, remember what a parable is. A parable is, uh, has real-world connections. That's why it connects with the audience. And so sometimes for us as 21st century believers, we can struggle a little bit with understanding that part of of what the parable is about, which is part of the reason I use some of the descriptions and and ways of understanding it in the context of that time period. But it also has a spiritual application or spiritual meaning to it. And when you come to understand this parable, you need to recognize that the character of the father is a representative of God. And all of us as human beings have a tendency to be either younger brothers or older brothers. And... There's a little bit of a tendency you might have recognized yourself in that, in that younger brother, and you have had a tough life where you made bad choices, uh, maybe leading to addictions. You had uh, issues with sexual decision-making and relationships and, and had broken relationships with parents and so on, and in the midst of that, God found you and brought you back into a relationship with him, and there's incredible joy in that. And and some of the joy comes from knowing how broken and lost that you were. And then there's others 
uh, that may connect with that older brother. I was thinking about this. The older brother's life was characterized by a number of things that begin with the word self, right? Self-reliant. There's a tendency to think, I got it all together. I got it made. He was... uh, uh, he was uh, self-righteous, you know, has this tendency to believe, hey, I'm a lot better than that. The older brothers of the world, we tend to compare ourselves to our younger brother and think, well, I'm not like that. I sort of have it together. He was, has this real sense of being successful in the world's perspective as well. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to talk about, as I uh, bring this together, talk about how the older brother and how each one of us could get it right, particularly for those of us who may tend to be like older brothers. So first of all, in order to get it right, the older brother needed to see the world for the way the world really is. So there's a tendency for the older brothers of the world, tendency for some of us to see the world and say, hey, it's not so bad. I saw a meme the last couple weeks that was really funny. It shows a man saying, hey, um, I'm not really that interested in heaven because America is so great. Right? And there's a little bit of a tendency for us to sort of live that way if we're the older brothers of the world. Things aren't so bad. I'm, sort of, I'm, I'm fairly successful. You know, I got a good inheritance coming to me. Things are good. And we're failing to see the world for the way the world really is. As yes, having beauty, having created order, but at the same time broken and fallen and messed up. Second thing is we need to see ourselves as broken and empty and desperately in need of a savior. Here's the reality. The older brothers have a tendency to look at the younger brother and think, well, I'm not like that. I, I, I have it together. I've, I've made better choices in my life. I've pleased my parents. I've, uh, people think I'm pretty successful. And uh, there's a little bit of a tendency in that to fail to see ourselves as being broken and empty. The reality is, is that God is perfect and he cannot have sin in his presence. And so the reality is, every one of us has done something wrong at one time or another, right? Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's every single one of us has done things that are wrong. It doesn't matter whether you've done as much as the person sitting next to you, or maybe this person next to you on the other side is a little bit better than you. None of that matters. Any little sin that we've done separates us from God, and we have to recognize that about ourselves, that every one of us is broken and empty and desperately in need of a Savior. Number three, we need to see ourselves as being incapable of pleasing God through what we do. The older brother believed that he had been that he had never done any, never disobeyed his father. Right? He he was completely blinded to the fact that all of these things he thought he was doing weren't weren't making him right because there were other things he was doing that were making him wrong that were meaning that he was lost and broken in need of a savior. Um, in Isaiah sixty four, it says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It's a reminder that. No matter who we are, the good things that we do are tainted. They're messed up. It, it, there's nothing that we can do that will make us that that makes us able to please God in our broken, fallen, sinful condition. And that's hard because a lot of times we want to you know polish up the pig. We want to make it look good and feel like we have uh, presented our best selves to God, right, and to other people around us. Sort of look like we got it all together. But what God reminds us through the story is that none of that 
is sufficient for meeting the need that you have. Number four, we need to see the actions of God as grace. And it's only through his grace that we are saved. So here we are, just sort of like laying out where the, the point of these four points that I've made up to this point. And we have a, a holy, perfect God who desires to be in relationship with us, but is not able to be in relationship with us because we are sinful individuals. Amen. And nothing that we can do will please God. We can think we're better than other people and maybe I'm one step ahead, but I'm inf infinitely separated from God even in that condition. And in uh, God in the midst of that situation says, I love you and I wanna be in relationship with you. I'm gonna make a way for you to have a relationship with me. And he did that by sending his son Jesus to earth to live a sinless, perfect life and at the end of his life to die on the cross and while he was hanging on the cross, God took the sins of the entire world and poured them out on his son. And in that process, Christ's blood pays the price, covers up those sins that each one of us has committed. And, um, and all we have to do is to accept his gift of grace. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And that he would do this for us, that he would make it possible for us to be in relationship with him through his son. And all I have to do is say, God, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross, for taking my place, for paying the price that I deserve to pay for the bad things I do. And God says, great, I no longer see you for what you are in the broken, fallen, sinful state you're in. I now see you through my son as being able to be in relationship with me. Number five, we need to recognize that the heart of God and the acceptance of his grace and join him in rejoicing. So God's desire is that every single person come to repentance. We see that in, I think it's 1 Peter chapter three, right? Where it talks about God's heart, his desire is that every person come to repentance. That's his design, it's his purpose. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship with every single person. And because of that, there's great joy, right? He describes this, that when the younger brother comes back to the father, what was once dead is now alive. Once, what, once, what, what was lost is now found. I mean, there's incredible joy in that happening. And we as believers should share in that same uh, sense of joy when somebody comes to faith in God. I've thought about that a lot the last few weeks with this whole Kanye West uh, thing, right? There's a little bit of a tendency for a lot of circles in, in the uh, Christian world to be like older brothers and not want to take any joy in that. Well, how can that person who's lived that kind of life come to faith in God? And fractures within our family and, and to the point where my parents have almost disowned him or basically disowned him. And, it's, and I think this is the hard part sometimes an older brother in that situation is that I have great compassion for my parents great resentment towards my brother for how he's treated them, failed to recognize the love that they had shown and expressed to him for so long, uh, frustration that he's walked away from God, not understanding that part of it, and um, in a certain amount of, you know, have I been foolish for following God as closely as I have, because he's been successful in many ways in what he's done, and, uh, and yet I recognize in myself the older brother in this story and the need 
and this is a while back, thankfully, the need to have a great desire and passion for him to come back to faith in God. You think about the fact of what God does, just building out on this, what happens in the, with the prodigal son, what, the level to which God celebrates when anyone who is lost comes to faith in God, then we should be making it our top priority, our top purpose to be putting the people that are in our lives that we love and care for before the throne in prayer, asking that they would come back to faith in God. Because how much, you know, we know how much joy it would bring God, and we should bring us that same level of joy as well. Well, that was very personally convicting to me uh, a while back when I was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, even when I was really first introduced to some of those ways of thinking about that older brother. And even um, this summer, my wife and I actually went and spent time at my brother's home. And, uh, and that was challenging. It's challenging because he lives a life that's very different than the life I would want him to live. Um, but it was, it was a step done to show and demonstrate the love that I have for him. And, and that's challenging and convicting and a little bit first, more personal than I want to be. But um, I just want to share that because I think it's so important that if, if you're the kind of person that has a personality and, and been knit together in a way that you tend to be an older brother, that we learn these lessons from this passage and think about taking joy, recognizing the error of our self-righteousness, and being willing to recognize the fact that to be in a relationship with God, we have to recognize our brokenness. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer, and I'll have the worship team come back up as well. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.